Hello, I am Andrew White, and thank you for tuning in to U.S. Army Corps of Engineers podcast, Building Careers. The purpose of this podcast is to shed some light on the finer details of the federal hiring process, as well as diving into the different career opportunities within the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Building Careers podcast is made possible by your U.S. service members whose bravery and sacrifice allows you to listen to this and other great podcasts wherever, whenever, and however you want. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all your favorite platforms to include YouTube, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts so you'll be notified when each episode is published. Feel free to send me questions and comments at andrew.e dot white at u s a c e dot army dot mil without further ado here is building careers welcome to building careers with your host, Andrew White. I am joined today for our show with Christina Graham from our Human Resources Department over in the Fort Worth District. Christina, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. We are so happy that you were able to take some time out of your day to come out here and talk to us a little bit about some of the things over in Human Resources of what you guys do and applicants who may be interested in applying for some federal jobs. Okay. Uh, well, you know, um, I'm the I'm a, a chief of a branch um, in the HR office, the CPAC, that uh, my branch takes care of hiring folks for um, the Fort Worth District and the Galveston District. And we have another branch that services Little Rock and Tulsa and division office. And i uh, been at this for about uh, 16 to 17 years now. So um, I know one of the topics we wanted to talk about today about was announcements open to the public. Yes. And, um, you know, that's really a big topic. And if people don't always clearly understand that a lot of things in HR are big topics. They're not quick answers. We have um, a lot of guidance that we have to research to provide answers and responses on. So today, for this purpose, I thought it might be best to narrow down to delegated examining announcements, which is called DE. Okay. It's probably the one that people most have most questions on. And so briefly, I just want to let you know for um, when we say announcements open to the public, we have several different types of announcements open to the public. And um, sometimes applicants don't understand how to recognize those. And so we have um, internal announcements. And then we have what's called delegated examining. And when applicants are on their USA jobs looking for a job, they can identify that, that job. There's a letter D at the end of the announcement number that stands for delegated examining. Very and, interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, we get a lot of applicants um, inquiring about these things. So we, we've kind of – that's one way you can distinguish mm-hmm. that. Hey, Christina, I had a quick question for you. Sure. What does uh, – for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with the federal government, what does CPAC stand for? Though that, you know, kind of kind of learn a little bit about the role that you play with inside the federal government. Okay. Well, you know, there's an organization, the agency that we work for 
is called CHARA, Civilian Human Resource Agency. And they do all the hiring and HR-related work for the Department of Army. Okay. Okay. And pretty much throughout DOD, we're, we're Air Force, Army, Navy, we're all using this same consistent programs, guidance, following a lot of the same DOD guidance, okay? Um, a lot of majority of our guidance comes from the Office of Personnel Management, OPM. Okay. And then um, DOD has guidance and Army has guidance. And, you know, right now um, my office services USAI, so USAI has additional guidance. But under CHARA, we have CPACs. They're the Civilian Personnel Advisory Centers. And there's one located usually, well, every military installation has one. And then within USACE, the different districts have one. And for the, the Southwestern Division consolidated basically five districts under the SWD, um, we're the SWD CPAC, okay? We Southwestern like Division. Said, Fort Worth, Tulsa, Little Rock, Galveston, and Division Office. So, you know, so there's those announcements, those delegated examining, which is the primary one that most U.S. citizens are going out and they can qualify for. And also under the, 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 the guise of uh, public announcements, there is expedited direct hire announcements. And those are going to be identified by the letter E at the end. And that could be another topic we talk about at another date. Absolutely. Um, I would love to be able to talk about all the different categories. What we're doing over here is helping those who are – interested in applying for a federal position, learn how to decipher because we have a lot of acronyms and some people who've worked in the federal side before, some have not, may not understand that. So this information you're providing is outstanding way for someone to decipher what it is that we're looking for and who's eligible. So yes. Right. So I'm going to key in on delegate examining, talk to you about that just in a bit more. I just wanted to kind of sure. say that under expedited and direct hire announcements, veterans preference does not apply. That's why it's called direct hire. Um, we also have pathway recent grads announcements. Those are open to the public, um, but you do have to be a recent graduate from a college. And under those, veterans preference does apply. And then we also have pathways interns recruitments that we do open to the public, but um, you have to be currently enrolled in school. And on hey, those, veterans preference applies. Christine had a question just for some clarification for the colleges and you're talking about for recent graduates as we know we see on tv and on the internet all the online universities some are you know accredited universities some are not does it have to be from an accredited university their degree yes it does uh well yes that's a good thing we'll talk about it in a future time but OPM, wonderful there's a, a site that we have to go out to to verify education and make sure it's accredited yes sir that's thank you question um so let's key in on delegated examining. All right. That's the one that's open to all, typically you'll see out there, open to all U.S. citizens. And um, people don't always understand some of the basics. I'm just going to go over some of the basics on this. You know, um, veterans do have preference on these type of announcements. And also do um, behind them are military spouses. So um, your average person off the street, we, we select a lot of non-veterans, but they need to know that those veterans and military spouses do have preference. That's just the way it's designed, um, the Office of Personnel Management. So you do have to be a U.S. citizen to be eligible to apply for this. That means that – so what happens is 
when an applicant applies, they have to select a, a, a click on something that says they're a, they're a U.S. citizen or not a U.S. citizen. And even if you know an applicant decides not to be truthful there, it's going to come out eventually because um, when we do hire someone, there's a, a vetting process that takes place when we when you come on the process. You have to show um, uh, proof of two forms of identification to show you're a U.S. citizen. And um, then we also put your information into a system called E-Verify that's from the federal government. And they verify the citizenship. And if it comes back that you're not, even if we hired you, we're going to have to remove you because of that. Absolutely. Okay? So that's one of the criteria there. Um, another thing people don't quite understand is we get a lot of applicants that just apply and these types of announcements, and they know they're just really highly qualified, and they end up getting a response that um, they were not referred to management. And they think, how could this be? I've been doing this type of work for, you know, 10 years, 15 years. How can it not relate? Well, something people don't understand or know is that under delegated examining, um, there is what's, they use a rating system called category rating. And it's automated. Um, so there's three categories within that system. And the, the, the best qualified category, that category, that's our top category. An applicant has to score between 95 and 100. Um, the next category down is highly qualified. And you have to score between 85 and 94. And the third uh, group is qualified. That's a score between 70 and 84. Now, how do you get that score, right, to get into that category? People you were reading to, my mind. All right. So good. Good. So people want to know, how do I land in that score? Well, let me tell you a couple of things first. Disabled veterans, those are veterans with a disability rating, um, will float to the top category automatically. If the position that we're advertised for is not a scientific, excuse me, scientific or professional position at the GS9 level or higher. So... Let's just say we have a GS-11 non-scientific or professional position that we're advertising for. Let's say it could be an administrative officer or um, something like that, right? So we have veterans apply, and let's say they score a 90, which falls in the highly qualified category. That's the middle category, and they score so their score lands between 85 and 94, if they're a disabled veteran, the system automatically floats them to the top category of best qualified, which is a score between 95 and 100. Now, just because they land in that category doesn't mean they're qualified. That's just the initial way that the system captures people's qualifications. The first look, so to speak. Yeah. You, you're not going to get looked at if you don't land in the that top category first, okay? Right. Um, if we don't have qualified people in the top category, we'll go to management and we'll get permission to merge the, the top category and the middle category together to try to get some more qualified people. So um, we're going to talk a little bit. I'll, I'll bring up category rating again in just one minute. Sure. Uh, but let's, let me just first explain that. And I've had applicants respond to jobs they don't qualify for or they're not happy with their rating and they say, your system needs to do this or your system's broken. And so let me just clarify that the Department of Defense 
has chosen to use the USA Staffing, USA Job software to do their announcements. So it's not our system. It's not CPAC system. We're using what the Department of Defense has put out there for us to utilize, okay? So USA Staffing is what HR uses, and it's tied to USA Jobs. So when you go out to your USA Jobs announcements, it's going to, you know, it's going to take all your initial information and push you your information into the USA Jobs system. And this particular system is called a self-rating system. So applicants answer uh, an occupational assessment questionnaire, so questions that are related to the position we're recruiting for and the qualification requirements, and um, they rate themselves. So they rate themselves anywhere, you know, they say they're an expert or they're highly qualified. So each one of those um, options has a score behind the scenes attached to it. So once they answer all the questions, um, the systems pulls together a score based on how they answer the questions. So that's how they get their score and land in a particular category. It's based on how they answer the questions. Now, we all know that applicants can be, um, they may inflate their score. They may think they're the best employee in the world, you know, and they just, I'm an expert at everything. Of course. Well, if they do that, they're going to land in that top category, um, 95 to 100. And, um, but then there's going to be some things that we're going to do to see if they're truly qualified for the position. So on every job announcement, there's a section in there that talks about any education requirements for the position you must have and a specialized experience requirements you must have. And applicants, if the job has education requirements, they must apply a copy of their official transcripts with their, uh, application. If they don't, they can be they'll be disqualified. Um, if a veteran's claiming preference, they must supply their DD-214, or if they have a disability, they're claiming a VA disability letter. Um, if there's a license requirement, a lot of our positions here within the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, engineering positions require either a professional engineering license. We have architects that have have to have a um, architect license. So if that's a requirement, the announcement will state that and they must attach it to their um, application or they'll be disqualified for an incomplete application package. Got a question for you. you. You bring up a great thing with that. Is there a difference between being disqualified and not referred or are they the same? Well, we have different codes here in HR that we put into um, when we're doing a referral. Mm -hmm. And so if an applicant has an incomplete package because they didn't supply a document, they'll get a code that, rep that tells them that. If they were not qualified, they'll get a code and a, a response that tells them they weren't qualified based on the specialized experience in the announcement, okay? So you're only going to get to refer to management for consideration if you meet all those criteria and you're in the, the category that we're currently in. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying that up. Mm -hmm. So the next step is once the applicant land in that category, let's say we're right now, we're just working on that top category, that best qualified category between 95 and 100. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to look at everybody in that category. And first thing we're going to do is look at your resume and we're going to read it. People don't think we read it. They think a, a, a computer reads it. And I'm here to tell you my specialist reads hundreds of resumes every day. And they are going to take that resume and the specialized experience that was in the announcement. And they're going to try to find that experience at the appropriate grade level or equivalent, okay? Under delegated examining, which we're talking about right now, you don't have to meet any time and grade requirements. So 
which people might not understand what that verbiage is, but when we do a, an announcement open to our workforce in the federal government, there's a time and grade requirement. So if we're hiring a GS-13, you have to have one year of ex time and grade at the GS-12. If we're doing a 12, you have to have it at the 11. Um, in delegated examining, which we're talking about, there's no time and grade requirement. So because we're basically, this is for people external for the from the federal government, so they're not gonna have that. Now, what they will have is specialized experience. And so we have to evaluate that to be, to determine if it's at the, the right level to meet our uh, specialized experience requirement, okay? Sometimes we get asked the question from military folks. I was well, just about, you military. must be reading my mind. Really? I was just about to go there and said, what do you do with some of our veterans, especially some that are coming in, senior military, you know, those have got 20-something years that have retired. How does that work? Because okay. military experience is obviously a little different than uh, based on your rank and time and all that. So yeah, you, right. you are reading my mind. Well, okay. So we, there is no magic um, conversion table for military, uh, to evaluate military experience or um, uh, ranks with civilian service. So we simply have to read the resume and um, based on the time they've done it, the amount of time, how extensive it was, evaluate how it relates to what we're asking for. So there's no magic formula, all right? Um, so, as I kind of said before, one category can be viewed at a time. So, it always starts with the best qualified category. Sure. Something people need to know is, um, let's say that you are best qualified, you're in that best qualified category, you're sure you qualify. We may never even look at your resume if we have, let's say, for instance, that we're in that best qualified category and we have uh, 10 disabled veterans in that category and we have 10 non-veterans, um, we can screen only the veterans because if there are three qualified veterans, we can't even, we could refer non-veterans, but you're not gonna be able to reach them because you, the job, the veterans have the priority and must be offered the position first. So a lot of the times when we have positions that have a lot of veterans apply, we'll evaluate that first and we'll just go through the veterans. Now, let's say that all the veterans decline the position and we have non-veterans in that same category we haven't looked at yet. We're gonna go back now and look at those non-veterans to see if we can refer anybody. Okay. Now, here's the other piece that management doesn't always understand, applicants don't understand, is that the system is created that if there are three people, three qualified applicants in the category, we cannot merge with the next lower category. The system will not allow us to. That is considered that three qualified applicants is sufficient amount of applicants to refer for one vacancy. So if there's multiple vacancies that we're recruiting for, it allows us to say, for instance, we've got two vacancies, allow us to send six people. If we've got three vacancies, allow us to send nine. So that's how that, you know, it's built in. We don't have control over that at all. Um, so management sometimes are like, well, how come I only got referred three people? We did the best qualified category, and that's all we're allowed to refer. Um, now, there could be potentially be more qualified people in the next lower category 
um, the highly qualified category that was between 85 and 94. And if we only have two people to refer and everybody else was disqualified, we'll ask management, would you like us to merge those two categories? Now, problem with that is, this is more for management, that if there's, um, let's say in your top category, you've got two non-veterans that I can refer, but you're not sure, you know, that that's exactly, you're not sold on those folks and you ask me to merge categories. There could be a veteran in the next category down. That trumps. Unqualified, that group is now merged. And um, that veteran now has preference over every non-veteran in that category. So okay. They have to make a really good informed decision what they want to do there. So for applicants, they don't quite always understand, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. And, we, and they can always send an inquiry in and we'll tell them exactly why they landed where they did. Sometimes, you know, there's uh, questions about veterans preference and um, what is veterans preference and there is a guide called the OPM Vets Guide out on OPM, and it's open to anybody can look at it. It's not restricted to HR. You just Google that, and um, they, everybody can read it and uh, read the different preferences and what you have to have to qualify for those preferences. Um, if it's a disability or if you were in the military during a specific um, military campaign campaign time or got a campaign badge or medal. Those will give you up to five points preference. So, And retired officers in the rank of major and above are not eligible for five points. The only way they can receive preference is if they're 30% or more disabled. Christina, I had a question that comes up, if you don't mind, sure. so you're talking about the veterans. This is something that I hear a lot from the veteran community. Could they potentially qualify for more than one category? And I'm going to give you an example I hear a lot from some of the veterans is – they're a retired veteran. They've got a VA disability, but their spouse is also a veteran. Do they qualify as or could be considered as either spousal preference or on their own merit, veteran preference? Yes, they can. Outstanding. Now, if I'm a veteran with preference, I don't need to use my spouse's veteran's preference on this type of announcement. Gotcha. Okay. Would there be other announcements that that would be a factor in? Uh, possibly um, in our internal merit promotion announcements that are open to like the current workforce, also open to military spouses and veterans. On those type of announcements, the veterans don't have preference. They, they have the eligibility to apply. They don't receive any preference. But if they're also military spouse, military spouses right. do receive preference. Oh. And um, that could potentially give them a leg up on an internal merit promotion announcement. Okay, there's another question that veterans asked is, is a military spouse the same as a veteran spouse? I think that's almost a different, another topic for another podcast because military spouse has now become a, a, to, a subject onto its own. Uh, and that's fine. Spouses used to, if they were, you know, didn't always have eligibility to apply for things because there wasn't an, an eligibility for them out there. And um, the party placement program, which is referred to as the PPP stopper sometimes, right. um, there was a category in there for military spouses. For instance, um, I fell into that category at one time. I, I was married to a service member. We were overseas. I worked overseas um, for a few years, and that gave me uh, a preference to come back to the U.S. 
and be able to register in the priority placement program under as a military spouse under that program. Well, that program has changed in the past year and been, no longer is a military spouse program under the PPP program. They've just now given spouses this eligibility to apply to all announcements and receive preference. So that's another topic we can explore there in the future. That's a whole Absolutely. Topic. And I'm glad you clarified that. And we will use that in the future uh, podcast with y'all for sure. Absolutely. You've provided tremendous amount of wealth and knowledge. Got a couple of questions that, you know, we were talking about with you open the public that some things I hear quite a bit through either job fairs or talking to people on the street is let's say you have an individual who served as a contractor for USACE or another government agency, whether it was overseas or around, but aren't a U.S. citizen. Do they have any eligibility uh, to apply or do we still have to refer back to being a U.S. citizen? Yeah, they have to be a, U a U.S. citizen. So whether they're a contractor in the past for when it does not count, contracting is a different animal than... Uh, well, it's not that contracting is a different animal. You could have you know, worked as a contractor, and if you're a U.S. citizen, you can apply. Right, but if you're not it's one... only those that are not a U.S. citizen that they cannot apply. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, that's Federal great. The government's not going to employ folks that are not U.S. citizens. And another question that was asked, you know, that I hear quite a bit is, I'm a student here, I'm working on my visa to stay here. Would I be eligible while my paperwork for citizenship is being processed? Or do they have to wait for full processing? They're going to have to wait for full processing. When we put their information into the E-Verify system I, I mentioned previously, it's it's matching up with the federal government's records to see if you're a U.S. citizen. So you're talking about what documents are needed, a passport, driver's license. What, what qualifies as an official document uh, for E-Verify? Okay. Um, there is actually a form I-9 form mm -hmm. that um, selectees have to complete. And um, that form lists a lot of documents on there that can be used. The most common forms, um, I checked with my HR assistant who does our in-processing and does all those form verifications. And the most common ones that we see are going to be um, U.S. passport or a passport card military ID card, uh, voter's registration card, social security number card, birth certificate, driver's license. Um, when they fill out the I-9 and it's called an OF-306 form, they're required to provide their social security number. It's another way it's getting entered into the E-Verify system to verify um, citizenship. So um, those are the most common forms. Like I said, if anybody has any questions, they can Google the I-9 form, and um, it has all the for different forms listed. Different, There's like three columns. If you have this, you have to provide this. If you provide this, you have to provide this. So um, that's kind of in-depth, and they would really have to – if they have any questions, of course, you know, applicants are always um, – can call the um, – if they have questions about that. Well, if they have questions about that too, on the bottom of every announcement, there is a um, email address that is for our inquiry system. 
and applicants can um, send an email to that address and get a response to their questions too. Outstanding. Christine, thank you so much for taking the time to come out and speak with us and educate our public on how they can go about building a career with not only the Army Corps of Engineers, but other federal agencies. Also, don't forget, if you want to learn and talk about where you can find jobs within the federal system, you can go to usajobs.gov, careers.usace.mil, or follow us on USACE Facebook and Twitter. Thank you once again and see you next week.